0: Hello and welcome to the Idealogue podcast. I'm Ben Mack, digital editor of Idealog. In this edition, we speak with the Digital ID and Authentication Council of Canada President Joni Brennan about digital ID, the implications for the future, and more. Thanks so much again for taking the time to speak with us. It's fantastic to be able to have the opportunity to chat with experts from around the world who can really tell us sort of where we're at In New Zealand compared to the rest of the world, but also to learn about what's going on in the rest of the world, whether that's in the digital space, whether that's in innovation, design, really anything. And it sounds like some of the stuff that you're doing is absolutely fantastic. And so I guess that's the natural place to start is if you could tell us sort of a little bit about yourself and some of your work
1: so much and thanks so much for, for inviting me you know, to chat with you today, um, so, so that's really appreciated and we love to connect as well, so, so it's a great opportunity. Um, yeah, a little bit about myself. First of all, I'll start with you know, myself. Um, I'm Joni Brennan, I'm the president of the DIAC, that stands for Digital Identity Authentication Council of Canada. Um, I've personally, my entire career has been in identity standards and innovations. So that's just over 15 or so years now. Um, And I've really gotten a a great um, pleasure uh, out of the opportunity to to work with um, innovators and and standard setters and policy setters uh, from around the world, from really from all parts of the world. Um, And uh, recently, um, over the last couple of years, I've... um, taken the role with the DIAC, and so it's been great to kind of go from that broad global view um, into a more very specific, um, country-specific um, approach for digital identity and kind of intersect that that kind of wealth of experience. So, so that's been really great and fun. Um, and then from the DIAC, who is the DIAC? Now, uh, the DIAC is a not-for-profit association that uh, was established in 2014, and um, It was created out of a recommendation of of a payments task force um, that was instantiated by the federal government of Canada after the global financial crash. So they uh, said, we need a task force of the public and private sector to review our payment system to make sure that it's innovative, secure, and robust in the context of this global financial crash that was happening. Um, One of the recommendations of that electronic payment task force was that, Canada needed a digital identity framework for the digital economy and that Canada needed a self-governing organization to instantiate and manage that framework over time on behalf of the community, with the community. Um, And so that's really what the DIAC is. And I would say um, two things about Canada, um, maybe a few more than two, let's see, I'll try to keep it short. But um, one of the things here is that our... Strategy that we're focused on is around unlocking opportunities in the digital economy, um, and by um, and unlocking those opportunities by um, enabling interoperability of both the public and the private sector in a way that's meaningful and that Canadians and Canadian businesses and governments can use. Um, so that's a little bit unique as we've taken this digital economy focus, and we've really focused on how do we unlock capabilities of both public and private sector, how do we make that available and usable for Canadians in the digital economy, and how do we all get societal benefit out of that. So that's some slight, um, I would say, some slight uniqueness um, for how we're, we, for why we look at this, and how we look at this, and why our roots are really economically focused. Um, and then I would also say that. Um, that uniqueness as well is that within our organization um, all the way through the levels of our organization we have the public and private sector sitting together rolling up sleeves together um, working on this and so I think you know um, when we look at the digital identity landscape if so I would say that there's one thing that's very unique and strategic about Canada it's this notion that we have to have a village and we have to collaborate and that's what will win the day Um, and that we have to break down silos of government identity and consumer identity, and we have to have a new data strategy that makes that information available um, that Canadians can use, whether that's personally or um, as a part of a business or as part of government. So those, I think, are some of the um, more kind of uniquely Canadian um, factors, and some of that also comes from um, the way that we're created as a country. So just to give you a little example, we could say that the idea of a single identity um, is not something that will work here in Canada. Identity is very contextual and, and based on governance. And so while that singular identity might work in other countries, it likely will not work here. Some of that is cultural, but some of that is governance. And so our roots of identity come from our provinces. Um unless you're an immigrant, in which case they come from the federal government. And so we really have 14 sources of public sector uh, roots for identity in the public sector context. And so right there we say, okay, there's no way we can do this as kind of a single identifier. We have to be able to draw from um, that collaborative, cooperative governance. And so so that, I think, is a little bit different. that said, uh, you know, we we uh, have lots to share and lots to learn, and, and while this is a Canadian-specific um, uh, approach, uh, it's very much um, an international interoperability is a priority uh, for us, and so it is the digital world. We can't have something that just works for Canada. It has to work for Canada in the global context. It has to prioritize our values. Um, yeah, and, and finally with that, I would say, you know, it's funny because I often... Um, I did this work in the U.S. and around Europe and Asia Pacific a a bit. And um, I would always always say for Canada, you know, we're we're, um, uh, small enough to be agile but large enough to be significant. Um, And then when I visited New Zealand, they said, no, we're small enough to be agile (laughs) and uh, maybe large enough as well to be significant. And so, you know, I think that's kind of an actually interesting kind of strategic characteristic is that, you know, we have a, a... kind of a smaller community small but mighty uh community here in canada that's uh uh very cooperative and so that's an advantage for us and uh i think you know you guys have that in new zealand as well you have this smaller community um who is also mighty and stands toe-to-toe with uh, the canadians and others uh so that kind of agility i think it's really something great that you guys can and are taking advantage of um in new zealand
0: Very cool. This sounds absolutely fascinating. I guess the natural place to sort of start a little bit to build a foundation for this discussion, when we're talking about digital identity, what is it specifically that we're talking about?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, And in fact, it's a question we even talk about in the identity communities because some people have slightly um, different definitions. But uh, when we talk about identity, we can really think about it as kind of the sum total of attributes about us and, and how those attributes, things like uh, what's our birth date, uh, where are we a resident of, um, each, each of the, what's our name, each of these attributes um, when put together um, is a representation of us. Um, and so uh, I kind of think of identity as a, as a bag of these attributes and we put them together in different ways to represent ourselves in different ways in different contexts. Um, so, identity is really the sum total of all of that. And so, um, digital identity is everything from proving um, that I am a unique individual, that, um, uh, that I can be named, perhaps, but it's also proving that I'm the same individual that's visited you multiple times. Um, but digital identity can also be, hey, um, we need to know that you live in Wellington in order to get access to this deal um, or this, this benefit or this service um, and so can you show us digitally that you have kind of a token if you will that says that you live in Wellington and so sometimes identity is actually not about can I name this person by name, can I recognize them in a crowd but it's about do they have the right token, the right key? Um, to be able to get into this community, into this deal, into this benefit. Um, just as we would often maybe show our driver's license uh, for those purposes, even though it's not a DNA car, um, sometimes all we're looking for is a specific piece of information and we want data to data minimize and have privacy. So um, it's the collection, I would say, of this bag of attributes, how they're put together for different contexts, um, functions like proving identity, who I am, identity proofing, um, authentication, what technology have I used to authenticate to a particular community, network, or service? Um, So is that something like touch ID, user ID and password, maybe capping a smart card as well, um, or a biometric recognition? And then authorization. So um, did I get the right notice, and did I give the right consent, and now which which things do I have access to? Um, once I've proved uh, those things about you know who I am, do I need to prove who I am, or do I have the right kind of token to get through that door? So it's, it's actually quite a big space, and so when we talk about digital identity, sometimes it's very challenging, and so um, people kind of tend, if they're not in the community, they kind of tend to want to go right to user ID and password, and user ID and password is a very small sliver. Of of something that's broken um, for the internet, uh, something that we're working as a a global community to fix. Uh, But what is digital identity is a really can can be a difficult question to answer. So one of the things that we did in the DIAC um, is we've actually uh, developed a paper uh, called "Economic Impact of Digital Identity in Canada," uh, because we find that you know if we're talking to, for example, members of Parliament. their primary concern is their constituents, and maybe their constituents are farmers, for example, and they can say, well, why should I care about this digital identity stuff? I care about farming. Um, And so what we know is important is that we have to be able to communicate not only what is digital identity, but why is this important? How are you going to save hours in your day? How are you going to save time? How are you going to reduce fraud? How are you going to enable communities that can be really... um, Separated. So we have a lot of space in Canada. We have people that are in the cities, but also in very remote locations. Um, So, kind of binding digital identity as a concept to why is this important? What what efficiencies will it bring? um, How will it reduce fraud? And and how will it help everyone? I think that's a really important message to tie together when we're talking about digital identity.
0: Fantastic and. It almost sounds like something you're alluding to a little bit there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it it sounds like it's a massive space, but it's a space that people, at least the general public, seems to not think about possibly as often as we should. And I'm wondering what your feelings are about that in terms of like, why aren't we thinking about it as much as we should? What should we be thinking about? All that kind of stuff.
1: I think that's a great question and very perceptive, um, So I would say that, I often say that digital identity is the most important thing that people don't think about until they have to. Um, And so, you know, if we have, let's say, a startup incubator and they say, we've got this really cool product and we want to do it. And so they create all this product and there's service and they, you know, kind of go through all the motions. And then maybe at the end they say, oh, we need people to be able to log into this thing or... We need to be able to know that we can trust the people that are participating. Let's say it's a babysitting service. Well, we want to know those people are, you know, dangerous. Um, And so identity is kind of the thing that's often not thought about until it is. And I think that, um, you know, these really might, this might be the time, the time uh, for digital identity. It really can longer Uh, I think we see big examples of that in um, you know the revelations around Cambridge Analytica um, around IOT privacy and data protection concerns Um, I think we see that as well um, around uh, around you know we know for sure we have too many user IDs and passwords to manage Uh, So I think more and more and more, um, I think we even see that in things like uh, the notions around fake news. Where does this information come from? Who does it come from? Uh, How do we then make a judgment on, you know, if we can trust something or not, um, a a person, a company, or, um, you know, a piece of information? So uh, I think that while it has been the thing that's been not thought about until it is, I think that the revelations and and moving more and more and more to digital, people are really starting to recognize this now. So this might be the time um, for digital identity. And if we want to enable digital countries or digital communities, it really is the first step. It's the first step in the um, equation uh, that needs to be able to have an approach. Now, um, to, to the other part of your question, kind of how much should they think about it? also a bit contextual so I think that the answer to that really depends on who they are how much they want to participate Um, you know so but I kind of have this analogy that I use Um, maybe it works for you maybe not but uh, I think about cars and I think that um, for me a car is like magic Um, I really don't know how the engine works I don't know how anything is designed um, I just know that when I put the key into the car, I know the rules of driving. Um, I know that generally, you know, how, how to drive, um, what that means, and that the car is going to go. Um, I also know that there is a big community um, for consumer protection and safety, uh, safety boards, that has done the work, the difficult work, uh, to be able to verify that cars are as safe as they can be. They've been designed With safety as a priority and they're as safe as they can be now the car can you could still drive a car into the ocean (laughs) if you'd like to Um, so so there is a a degree of you know agency and and free will uh, involved here but that the design of the car has really been designed from the start with security and safety um, in mind and protection in mind and so, so I often think of that car analogy now I mean am I the right person to sit in the transportation safety board and talk about you know how cars should be fixed probably not. I don't even understand how they actually work inside. Again, it's magic. Um, But I do want to know that there's somebody taking care of that. And maybe if I were another type of person, I would want to participate in those types of communities. So I kind of think about digital and, and online transactions. I kind of think about it the same way. Most people really don't want to be involved in the, um, you know, in the, in the grueling work of setting standards, of, of, you know, making sure that the design is as safe and secure and as simple as it can be. Um, but they do want to know that somebody, uh, some trusted parties, a diverse group of trusted parties, is working on that. Um, and, if they, and if they really do have the expertise, then they should be welcome into those communities and be able to participate. So I, I think it's really a matter of context, and, and we have to make sure that those who want to participate, we have ways they can engage. Um, and for those who don't, that we do have the, you know those, those committees and those boards that are in place who, who are the experts, who have the right set of, who have a set of principles um, that are transparent and open and, and that prioritize um you know that person that user that citizen that consumer um as really the center at the end of
0: the day well i loved that analogy about the cars because i can totally relate on that when i turn the key and i have no idea why it starts i just expect (laughs) it to start most of the time that sounds great and i loved what you were saying too about the passwords moments ago i mean even just for the stuff that i do online i have an entire it's kind of embarrassing but it's an entire word document of just my different IDs and passwords for different websites and things because there's just so many of them. And wow. and maybe it's not the yeah. best uh, the best hygiene, but I'll admit that sometimes for for sites, I have one specific password that I'll use for multiple websites, some of them for very important things like my banking and stuff, for example. So I guess there's the fear if somebody got a hold of that one password that I use for a lot of stuff, they'd have access to all kinds of things. But I'm thinking about sort of what you said there about sort of creating a unified system when it comes to digital ID. And I'm wondering if there's a little bit of misinformation out there and a bit of a knowledge gap that we need to overcome and even some distrust, because I'm thinking, for example, of what's been going on in the debate in China around the social credit score. And there seems to be a lot of scaremongering about that going on. And people are afraid, well, what if there's one system that, you know, every other country starts implementing is there i guess you could say sort of like a fear barrier you know a barrier of having everything unified to overcome
1: yeah you know again i I, yeah so great question um again I, i would say that this landscape is very contextual and cultural and so you know the idea of kind of one ring to rule them all one solution to solve it all i think that's that's going to be a challenge, again, because what might work great in China might be a terrible controversy um, in Canada, uh, or vice versa. Um, Or there might even be, you know, very real governance issues that prevent a particular solution from working in one place versus another. Um, So I think that that is is definitely the the cultural issue and the governance issue is something that we always have to be respectful of. but I also think that you know, there, there, there are, there are you know, sometimes appropriate fears, and then there are, there's also perhaps you know, fear-mongering as well. And so the best thing that we can do here, and, and, and I'll just kind of relate it back to Canadians, maybe it's similar for um, New Zealanders, but the best thing that we can do is provide um, openness and transparency in terms of the operation and the governance of these solutions. Uh, we can provide standards um, and choice. Choice is a really important feature, um, at least for Canadians. Uh, You should be able to choose if you want to use one method versus another. As long as that method is reasonably as secure as the other, then you can say, okay, well, you know, I can do A or B. Um, So having that kind of a choice is really important for Canadians, Um, and and control and having people actually be able to control. Uh, having some measure of management and control over data about them and I think that's where some of the issues are around you know things like Facebook and um, you know data that's collected that we're not aware of and you know maybe decisions are being made on that data that' we're, that we're not aware of and so um, you know this the social kind of credit uh, model uh, definitely yeah, I think you showed up in Black mirror as well so um, there's there's kind of always a, uh there's kind of a natural tendency toward the fear of the dystopian society and so that's why it is important that we do work continuously um to make sure that we prioritize the needs of our constituents so that's number one and so that helps us to try to you know not end up in the dystopian society in canada privacy is a big big um priority so data protection and privacy um in the form of privacy and data control that's really important um in countries like Estonia, um, they look at privacy a little bit differently. and So they look at transparency as a little bit higher in the order of priorities. And so they're more um, leaning towards, let's, let's make sure that it's, the information is transparent. Uh, I believe it's true that in Estonia, if a policeman or woman, a police person, uh, runs your license plate, through a database that you actually get a ping for that. You're, you're told, oh, the police person ran your driver's license. So that's kind of an interesting twist on privacy and transparency. Um, I've also worked with others in um, Sweden, for example, who said, well, you know, your salary isn't seen as private information in Sweden. Why, why, can't, we, why can't we use salary as an attribute? Because everybody gets to see everybody's salary in Sweden. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's what I was told. Um, but for example, that piece of information would be not, people in Canada would not want to share that at all unless they decided that they wanted to share that. So, um, we have to be careful of the fear mongering. We have to be careful of, you know, not ending up in the dystopian society either. Um, and really the best way to do that is to bring as much transparency to the process, um, choice, control, um, and prioritize, you know, uh, determine who we want to prioritize in these ecosystems in Canada we want to prioritize Canadians We want to prioritize Canadian citizens and consumers um, and so that that's kind of our, our north star so so if you will so, but lack of information does lend itself to fear-mongering so the more collaboration we have the more information sharing we have the more transparency we have in terms of what our vision is and how we're trying to get there I, I, I think that you know. Um, What's the saying?
0: Sunlight is the best disinfectant. That's really one of the best ways to, to address that issue. Wow. Well, that's getting a ping every time a police officer runs your license plate. That sounds definitely like a pretty radical solution to openness. And you mentioned something moments ago as well. Dare I say the F word? Or rather, that company whose name starts with an F being Facebook. And mm-hmm. you. You touched on Cambridge Analytica and the scandal there, for example, with data privacy and protection. But what I'm thinking a little bit, and not just Facebook, but when it comes to other social media platforms as well, what you're talking about with digital identity and establishing that you are who you are, is I'm wondering what the implications of this could be for combating hate online and combating, say, internet trolls, since we all know how damaging those can be.
1: Absolutely, that's kind of um, that's another one of those topics, that's a great question, um, it's another one of those topics, well first let me say, I spend a significant amount of time um, playing you know, the whack-a-mole game in terms of protecting my own data, um, and I have different browsers and VPNs and ad blockers and all sorts of things, and I use certain browsers for certain purposes and other browsers for others, and so it's actually quite comical, um, but it puts all the burden on me. Um, and, and how intensive I want to be about that um, now in terms of that um, kind of you know combating trolls online I think that's one of those uh, and, and this is not with you but I kind of want to use the term false dichotomy here because what, what I want to say is that um, for many years in in this industry we kind of saw a bit of a battle of the wills between the security people and the privacy people and um, which I think that's actually started to level out. And people like um, Anne Kabukian here in Canada did a lot of work on resetting the paradigm to say, no, this is a positive sum game. You don't get either security or privacy. You can get both of them. And in fact, they're both tools that help each other. Um, so that was one of those situations that started off as you know seeing a real opposition to each other. And I think we've now kind of seen those two kind of come together, at least in the uh, security and privacy, come together more in the Canadian landscape. now. In terms of battling trolls, I think that might be kind of one of those scenarios as well, which is to say kind of the black or the white, you know, may not always be the case. And so there's a lot of evidence. Um, There's some evidence that having some sort of um, maybe let's separate accountability from identification. Um, And so um, in order to, uh, if there's a measure of accountability, that's one way of combating a troll. It doesn't always mean mean that I need to identify you, that I need to know your name, and that I need to know particular pieces of information about you. Now, I could set that as a community. I could say, okay, if you want to be in this community, you have to identify yourself, which some communities do, and you have to verify yourself in different ways, like um, Airbnb would be an example of a community like that, maybe. Um, And so different communities set their tolerance in, in terms of how much identification do they need. How much accountability do they need based on what kind of community they are? So I think there is a validity to that. One of our members uh, in the Diap PlaceSpeak actually has created a civic engagement network where um, rather than having public consultations happen via email or insecure web form, um, they actually have a platform where you can enroll yourself and you can identify yourself. You can participate in public consultations for your neighborhood, without actually revealing who you are. So there's a firewall between your real identity or who, you know, who you've asserted yourself or proved yourself at different levels to be. And, and But you still can then say, hey, I'm actually a resident in this neighborhood. And so it really matters when I say, do we want to put this power station where the park is? Um, versus, you know, maybe somebody in another, you know, if you're in New Zealand, maybe you, you you shouldn't to be commenting on the park in my neighborhood in Vancouver where um, we should weight that differently and so, so kind of separating out the identity but being able to say actually you are a person, you are an entity whose voice should have more weight in this particular community, that's another piece of it. So so there is a bit in there and, and that does have some effect, I think it's the accountability side, I would say it has some effect on uh, combating uh, those types of trolls and sock puppets um, I would also Say though we do have to be a little bit careful. Uh, we do have to have some care um, and pragmatism in that space as well, because that equation can also be flipped on its head rather quickly. And so we can say now, if you must be identified in order to participate in a particular community, you may be opening yourself up to risk. And so you could be a um, political dissident. You could have a differing view. You could have a religion that people are particularly a fan of a sexual orientation Um, and so there's also evidence strong evidence to say that strong identification where it is not truly required actually makes a person more of a target of trolls and um, you know bad actors and so I think that's one of those places where kind of looking at this in a one or zero or a black and white I think we don't do ourselves the best service there but rather look at kind of what are the specifics in these communities and can we achieve this with accountability versus identification, um, and, and kind of what does that mean? And that might be different from community to community. So I, th- I think that's a, an infinitely interesting topic, um, and, and managing and combating the trolls is important, but also enabling and protecting the privacy of people who may be targets of those trolls or maybe be politically dissonant, um, that they have a place that they can, can participate as well. I think we, we really have to strike a balance there.
0: Mm, Well, it sounds like it's definitely a tough situation to figure out what to what to do about. It. And it sounds like you've talked about there are a lot of different approaches, not just with dealing with hate online, but
1: was yeah a lot of thinking going on um, in that space, and you know balancing those priorities as well. You know, trolls versus protection and accountability. There's a lot to work with in there. Um, you know, one thing's for sure. This is a a, a very deep and broad landscape. Um and that's why collaboration is so important. We can't no
0: one organization can really solve everything in this picture. Hmm. Well it sounds like there's a lot of different approaches and you talk about the importance of collaboration with stuff that we're doing right now when it comes to digital identity and some you know, some of the things you talked about going on in Canada, for example, what their approach is in Estonia, what some of those implications might be here in New Zealand, I guess. The natural question, of course, us being ideologue and sort of what we're all about looking towards the future and that proverbial crystal ball gazing is what do you think the future holds for digital identity, say, five to ten years out from now?
1: i had the chance to visit um wellington um last year uh i believe around september time frame so it's just about just under a year ago Uh, and i was so impressed uh you know you have an innovation lab there that's working incredibly hard you have multiple diverse teams from different um, areas of, of um, I, I was exposed more to the government side of things um, a little bit of the private sector so you have a very diverse kind of government different groups working on the issues there um, and you also had seem to have some very enthusiastic private sector folks as well um, interested to contribute so and I, I think at least what I kind of saw when I was present was that there's a lot of great thinking going on in kind of open data and new ways of engaging um, New Zealanders. So I think, you know, there's just great things coming out. um, If I should come out of New Zealand, um, if I gave just a tiny bit of history, um, uh, and this is for anyone who's super into identity, but um, a long time ago, there was a a bit of a, we used to think about identity as kind of this one lump thing, and um, whether that's proving me, authenticating me, and then authorizing me um and uh, quite a long while back new zealand i believe was the first country to recognize that those are actually unique and specific functions and that they should be separated out we call it separation of the identity from the credential Um, separation of who you are versus your user id and password or your smart card or whatever credential you have Um, i believe that actually came out and started in new zealand and canada was close behind um, and since then, that that kind of separation has really been adopted, um, I think, widely. And so that was a great kind of area where, you know, I think uh, New Zealand just beat us, and we came just after. And, and uh, you know, others have been uh, have recognized that there's a lot of value to that. So um, so where are things going? Um, I think you know there's big opportunity for New Zealand. There's big opportunity for Canada big opportunity around the world, but I'm really kind of lately interested in, um, you know, Commonwealth a bit, where we have some commonality in terms of culture and and also the underpinning laws. Um, I think uh, where we're going is to um, a place where um, evidence for identity is moved to digital. And so whether that's a digital birth certificate, a digital um, driver's license, a digital passport, um, and that's just—and that doesn't mean just kind of digitizing analogs and, and saying here you go. I think you know that digital notion has to be thought through from end to end. How is it created? Um, how do how do the constituents use it? And then how does it get into the economy, for example? So so that has to be really thought of in a holistic way but moving to where this evidence is is largely digital. And so I think we can imagine a world where uh, particular pieces of information, uh, whether they come out of the government, let's say uh, a birth certificate um, uh, or let's say um, an address, let's say the government of British Columbia could prove uh, my birth certificate, which is not true. I'm actually an immigrant and I can't lie. Um, But in any case, let's say that the government of British Columbia could prove my birth certificate. Um, And then let's say that the bank um, could prove my address, could be used as a verifier of my address. So where we're moving to is getting these, what I'll call claims or assertions, these particular pieces of information having them digitally available uh, for people to use, businesses to use, and for us to be able to use when we want, how we want, um, and for, for as long as we want, uh, without the originator of that piece of cl- that claim or evidence knowing that we actually used it. And so I would say if you kind of looked at this, um, it's actually not very far off from some of the things we do in the real world today, um, which is to say, uh, Many times when people try to go into a bar, they'll say, okay, well, you know, let us see your driver's license or maybe even a passport, whatever you have. They'll accept those too. Um, And so we'll show them the driver's license. And and the government doesn't know that we showed them our driver's license to get into the door. Um, Meanwhile, we gave them lots of other information they don't need. We gave them our name. uh, We gave them our address. um, And we gave them our exact birth date versus are you old enough to come into this pub? Um, And so where we're getting to is that we could have these digital pieces of information that we could assert, um, and we could say, uh, maybe it's a particular website that you have to be over a certain age. Um, We could also say, this is a big topic in Canada right now, it's this um, cannabis legalization, uh, decriminalization. And uh, so so there's a lot of talk about how, if people want to sell marijuana online, how do they prove that you're, how do you prove you're of age, and how do you do that without giving your name or all of those things that you might not want to give. Um, so there's tons and tons of use cases. But where we're getting to is basically kind of having little bits of information about us that are digitally signed, verifiable, um, that we can use in different, different contexts, different needs, piece by piece, um, and that we can use in a way that actually doesn't um, violate our privacy, that you know, the originator of that information doesn't always know and can't track us every place that we use it. Um, With that, I think we're also, as part of that, uh, we're seeing more and more uh, kind of a rise of networks. And I think um, blockchain is playing a role in that, some kind of a role in that. Uh, Different types of blockchains are playing a role in that. So we could see potentially, um, which in fact is a direction that Canada is starting to go. uh, Is blockchain-enabled networks, distributed ledger-enabled networks, um, where uh, information can be requested to be verified and can be verified. You are in control of which information you provide, um, or sometimes that information is provided outside of the network, uh, but that you can actually now be in control of data about you and use it for specific purposes. So I think we're seeing some, you know, ver- well, in the technical world, verified claims, this is verified pieces of information about us, using them in networks. Um, some of those networks are permissioned. So, what we're seeing here in Canada is, um, in some uh, instances, a, a, pr- a preference for um, at least to start the networks institutions, banks, telcos, and governments, um, with those networks then to grow later. And then we're also seeing some other networks that are unpermissioned, which is, you know, anyone can participate, um, m- maybe some less accountability in there. Uh, you know, it really depends. Again, it depends what's right for you. But what's key is we should be able to take those bits of information about us and use them in different networks for how we decide um, and that we should have interoperability there. So I think we're going to start to see the rise of those kinds of models. Um, yeah, and I guess around blockchain, you know, I used to say that it was kind of surprising because I thought that in, in all the years that I've been doing this, I've never really seen an outside, what I would call kind of an outside technology technology come in to the identity space. It's been more handcrafted technologies for identity. Um, and so I said, wow, this is interesting. This is a technology that's actually coming into our landscape. And now we're saying, okay, how will we use it? How, you know, how will it fit in? Um, we don't think it's going to solve everything, but we think it's a very interesting and compelling tool that can solve parts. Um, but then I kind of realized and changed that thinking recently, which is actually blockchain is kind of the anti-identity technology. <laughs> Um, as it was really created, you know, around anonymity. How, I can, do, how can I do payments without revealing who I am? So, you know, crypto, it's not only cryptocurrencies, but cryptocurrencies is an example. Um, so blockchain is kind of the anti-identity um, technology. Um, but so, in fact, it actually, I think it has been a part of our landscape all along. just a slightly different vector. Um, and a lot of the blockchain movement now are looking at, oh, okay, well, maybe we do need identity as part of our um, ecosystem and so, um, so I think it's incredibly interesting um, verifiable pieces of information networks um, uh, blockchain different different types of blockchain technologies playing some role in that um, and um, and I think you know all of that will actually minimize the type of data we share will give us more control um, and, and ultimately uh, we will create a better landscape that everybody can participate in. So I think that's where we're going.
0: Well, it sounds like an absolutely fascinating future could be ahead. And you read my mind perfectly, which was I was going to ask what the implications are of blockchain for digital identity. And it sounds like there's quite a lot of implications from blockchain, to put it mildly
1: definitely um it, it's it's an incredibly interesting landscape um it is, for example in our group we, we are not focused on blockchain it's one of the technologies we have liaisons that are focused on blockchain that we work with so that's been really great um we we think it's we think it's another great um tool in the toolbox that's being tested and tried and and uh i think we're, we're sure to see kind of more of where does it work and where might it not work and we'll see that evolve over time but i definitely think it's it's one piece of the puzzle uh you know that people need to be paying attention to
0: very cool well thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us it's been an absolutely fascinating discussion is there anything else you want to mention or talk about
1: no, I would just—I I think I would leave it off and just say, first of all, again, thanks for having us. It's been a great conversation. I really enjoyed your uh, question. Um, we absolutely are looking for more collaborators in our Canadian landscape. So anyone who listens to this and would like to talk to us, I'd, I'd be more than happy to, you know, share some information and connect. And. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, I think we're, we're we have lots of like-minded um, partners and peers um, in New Zealand, and so you know, we're really watching to see uh, what will come out of your unique culture uh, and uh, your unique context, um, how that will play in the landscape, and and how we'll we'll collaborate on that. So I'm really looking forward to. Uh, visiting Auckland in a couple of weeks and seeing your beautiful country again so thanks again for having us and, and we'd love to chat anytime in the future.
0: Very cool well if people would like to get in touch with the DIAC how can they do that?
1: Yeah they can go to DIAC that's C like dog D-I-A-C-C dot C-A and those are all C-like cats. Um, we also have my DIAC uh, Twitter handle um, and if all of that is difficult you can search my name you can find me on the you find me on the google um and online and and we'd be happy to connect so yeah any of those
0: will work very cool thanks again so much for chatting really appreciate that
1: thank you ben it's been a pleasure
0: to hear more inspiring tales be sure to check out Idealog on soundcloud or subscribe via your favorite podcast app also check us out on facebook twitter instagram and at idealog.co.nz.